like one of the real joys in my life is watching Jesus play that song. Like, I just love that. Hopefully he got some camera time there. I'm not sure, but I just love that. You guys go ahead and be seated unless you want to just give me a big woo right now. All right. It is good to see you here. Thank you so much for being a part of today's worship service. Oh, man, I've got to take a big old deep breath. All right, hold on just a second. I'm supposed to preach here, so let me get myself together. It is good to see you here, and we are beginning a brand new sermon series, not about New Year's resolutions, but about New Year's real solutions, and I hope that you will follow along with us. Man, 2021, can I get an amen? I mean, y'all, y'all just ready for 2021 to be here? Can I get an amen in the house? My goodness. We're ready for that thing to just kind of keep on moving and get 2021 here and get it started because I got to be honest with you, I've never had a year that I just wanted to leave so desperately, but 2020 is that year. It is, as I said in my uh, email and as I said on my Facebook post, it feels simultaneously like the shortest year I've ever had and also the longest year I've ever experienced in human history, right? It is crazy. I don't know how it can be both of those things, but it feels like it is both the shortest and the longest year ever. And we're glad to see it go because of all the things that we had to face. But here's the truth. The truth is, is that, you know, the vaccine is coming out, but not everybody's got the vaccine. I mean, I'm hearing reports of people getting COVID um, on a regular basis. Um, Some of the people that are a part of this church are uh, kind of feel, dealing with and facing COVID. And it's just kind of a scary thing because you just never know what each person is going to, how they're going to respond to it. For the most part, it's not something that is, you know, doing many people in uh, as far as of the groups that are getting it and receiving these issues that they're facing. But it's still something to be very concerned about and we never know what happens. I did receive word in my own situation, somebody that I knew and knew well, uh, that is passed because he had some complicating factors. And so this is still out there, but not everything is going to be fixed just simply because we turned the calendar. And I just want to put that out there because the truth of the matter is, is that in a couple of days or a couple of weeks, if you're still dealing with some of the same fears and frustrations and concerns and issues, and not everything's getting fixed in the blink of an eye or the turn of a page on a calendar. But here is what I will tell you. I believe that there are real solutions out there for you and I to experience a different life in 2021. I think it comes not from resolutions, but from real solutions. And here's what I mean by that. How many of you guys in here, okay, you don't have, no, 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 don't even raise your hand, okay? Don't even raise your hand. But how many of you guys in here, you know about New Year's resolutions? Maybe you're a resolutions person, maybe you're not, I don't know. But if you are, you probably are seeing the turn of the calendar and thinking, well, you know what? There's New Year's resolutions, it's time for me to make a few. My wife turned to me the other day and said, what are the New Year's resolutions that you have? And I was like, well, that's kind of a personal question. I mean, we've only been together for 35 years. I don't know if I can really talk to you about that. You know, it's funny because they're close to our hearts and we don't necessarily enjoy putting ourselves out there. But the truth of the matter is, is that we know that it's almost a joke. It's almost kind of a a, a thing that we talk about. Oh, I'm making a resolution. And we all know that three weeks in, we might not even be keeping those resolutions because we've kind of let them pass and fall by the wayside. Well, here's what we do know. There is such a thing as a resolution that you do keep, and I believe those are the real solutions, not the resolutions. And I just want to encourage you as we talk a little bit today, 
I don't want to give you a big long to-do list. I don't even want you to walk away today with a long to-do list or kind of this feeling of if you're not doing these things, then you're not really acting like you should as a Christian or whatever it might be. That's not what I want. As a matter of fact, if you listen closely to what Eric read just a few moments ago, one of the passages of Scripture that, to be honest with you, I don't really preach on nearly enough is the passage of Scripture found in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says to them that are near him, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you will find rests unto your souls." Uh, pardon me, rest unto your souls. And so I want to just kind of clarify that Jesus didn't come to give us a long to-do list. He didn't come to give us a, a thing about what we should and shouldn't do. He came to have a relationship that would bring real life into our real lives, if you guys will allow me to say it that way. So we understand that 2020 is the year of COVID, and we've all had to face some things, there's no doubt, things that we've had to face in our modern world, not just in 2020, but they've been coming for a while. I want to talk a little bit about these, and these are the things that are actually mentioned in a book that I'm going to get to in just a moment. But we talked about how all of us face an unprecedented change, and we're in, and dealing with unprecedented unprecedented experiences. We've never gone through a global pandemic before. I don't know if any of you in here even knew what a pandemic was. I'm not sure I totally did. There was some fear a few years ago, but probably some of you don't even remember that there was some scare, but it didn't ever come to pass, and this one has. And so it's a brand new uh, uncharted water that we find ourselves in. And there's also just simply the blistering pace of our lives. The truth of the matter is, is that for about two weeks, we slowed down, right? Remember? Remember in March, we're like, man, what are we going to do with all this time? And guess what? We filled it, didn't we? <laughs> we figured out a way to fill it. For some, it was very good. Some of it is not so good. Some of it, the way that things happen, they just filled up on their own. There's the deluge of media. Today, we have media constantly at our fingertips. And this is something that we don't really talk about very much, but we have a heart-numbing level of information that is designed to provoke our emotions. In other words, if you look through different things, there are people that know that they are supposed to get some sort of emotional reaction out of you, whether that's fear or that's you know uh, sympathy or whether it's anger or whether it's joy. They're designing the things that they put out there to provoke an emotional response in all of the people that come across that media. Do you know why? Because money follows emotion. That's why. And if you ever think to yourself, I wonder why people are doing that. The very first thing is to follow the money. Because the truth of the matter is, is that even those things that seem to be altruistic oftentimes are not altruistic. They're not in there for the good of you or for the good of me. They're out there to create money for their cause or for the situation that they have. And so it's very important that we grasp this. And all of this stuff makes it feel like life is zooming by. So let me ask you guys a question. And those of you on the chat, maybe you can chime in. How many of you feel like maybe COVID slowed down the world a little bit, but then it just picked right back up? Am I right? I mean, it just doesn't seem like things slowed down that much, maybe for a little bit, but then we just turned around and we filled that space. The truth of the matter is, is that for all of us, we're facing these things and we're living now, not even at the speed of email, but we're not leaving at the speed of mail from back in, I mean, we even call that snail mail, Right. So snail mail came to email, came to text, 
came to the speed of the swipe. Now, he talks about this in his book that I'm going to reference in just a moment, the book entitled Get Your Life Back. And he shows this emoji, and I just wanted to put this up here. How many of you love this emoji? Can I, let's just be honest, right? My favorite, one of my favorite emojis, I use it all the time. You know, I'm definitely a guy who uses the, the emoji. Here's the deal. He said in his book, his name is John Eldridge. He said, I had something that I felt like was a, a pivotal moment in my life. And he said, and I sent to the people that were closest to me information and the latest update on the thing that I thought was going to kind of really be a big impact and change in my life. And people had been praying for me on this situation. And so I was excited to share with them this great news. And so he said, I sent them a text and laid out what God was doing and shared with them the parts that I was excited about and how things were going to change in my life because of what God had done and what he was doing. And he said, here's the thing. I got back from some people that I assumed were really with me and really close to me. All they sent me back was the thumbs up emoji. Right? Now, I'm not going to lie. My wife is a busy, busy woman, okay? She is the librarian at Bowie Elementary, and I know that half the time all she can do is look at her iWatch and say, yes, Randy, I recognize that you love me, whatever, and she gives me back the thumbs up emoji, but I know that, like, means more, right? I get it. She can't come, but can you imagine you've been praying with somebody, and they tell you, man, God is at work, and they shoot it to you, and all you get is a whoop. Does that sound pretty good? The whip, right? And it feels like we're living at the pace where I can't even get people to engage with the text message. And the struggle that we often have is, I mean, literally, I've had my wife tell me one time, (laughs) I'm not picking on her, she's trying to help me, I promise she is, because sometimes I preach and text in the same way, you know what I'm saying? And so she'll say, Randy, that's a wall of text, you can't send that, you got to do something a little different, let's eliminate a little bit of that or something. I'm like, you're right, baby, i got way too much in here, I've got, you know, from the beginning of time, you know, whatever. So I need to not, that's my New Year's real solution, okay, you guys pray for me. But here's the thing. We're living at this pace, but we're not designed to. We're living at this pace, but we're not designed to. We know this on an instinctive level on the inside of us. I'm going to share a quote from the book that I'm talking about and I'm going to be preaching and referring to over the next few weeks. But let me just remind you, you're living at this pace, but you are not designed to live at this pace. And so because of that, this pace gets to you and you start to seek peace somewhere that it is not designed for you to find it. Now, I want you guys to listen to me, what I'm about to say. I want you to think about these things. I'm not here to condemn in any way, shape, or form. And I want you to be very clear about the fact that at the preacher's house, it ain't like we sit around and read Bible passages to each other all the time. Like, that ain't real life even in the preacher's house. You know, we're like, you know, I was reading the scriptures the other day, and I just wanted to share something with you. That happens, but it's not exactly like Monday, 6 a.m. when people are trying to leave at 6.30, right? It's just not the way that it is. This is real life that we're talking about, but real life sometimes moves at such a pace that we seek peace in places that we don't need to find it. 
We don't need to be seeking him in this place. This is not judgment. This is just trying to make sure that we hear that we do have some things that we need to be paying attention to. For example, we seek peace in things that we watch or that we listen to. We seek things, peace in what we purchase. We seek peace in things that we play or things that we do, actions that are taken that aren't necessarily good. We seek peace in things that we ingest, whether that be food or substances. We seek peace in things that we give vent to, sometimes on a keyboard, sometimes against the people that are in our own home. This is where we seek peace and there is more. But if we're not very careful, we forget that how God has created us and the things that we find that are going to bring health and life to us are not the things that we seek. We're seeking peace in the easiest and the most surface ways. And this reminds us that there are so many things out there that are really, truly shallow. Maybe you've even seen the movie. I'm not talking about the movie with that scary looking shark and Blake Lively up on the surfboard. I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about a book that was entitled The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brain by Nicholas Carr. This is considered in many ways kind of the definitive work on the fact that we're living in a new age. And this was printed in, wait for it, 2010. 2010. Now, if you are like me, 2010 doesn't sound that long ago. For some of you who are like 25, 30 years old, you're like, 2010? Did they put that on tablets and, you know, chisel it or what? You know, yeah, this was before Instagram and Snapchat even existed. Like, so it's not gotten slower. It's gotten more fast paced than ever before. And so I want to just talk a little bit about this book that we're talking, not this, The Shallows. There's even an NPR podcast if you want to listen to it. It's literally only a seven minute listen, which is kind of funny in and of itself. But I want to go to the next slide where it talks about get your life back everyday practices for a world gone mad by John Eldridge this is what the book looks like you can check your email there is a link there but you can see this is the author and you can see him and he goes in with my beard theory the bigger the beard the more like profound you are that's something I've been working on ever since I grew a beard I'm not sure it's really working for me personally but it's just a theory I'm working through um, this is a good book it is really really good and and I want to share something with you. It's the rescue article that I put up here, Faith Gateway, Rescue from the Madness. This came out this year, but here's what I want to do. I want to take a minute and I want to read a section. And I can't really tell exactly how long it is because honestly, my eyes are getting so bad that I have to put it at 16. I'm at 16 point type now, y'all. It can't be any smaller or I don't get to read it, you know, not correctly. But I'm going to take a minute to read a few passages from this book, and I want you to listen. And I'd ask you, uh, this is brave, but here's what I'd ask you to do. I'd ask you to close your eyes. Now, not you at home. You're in a sofa, and you're too comfortable already. But if you're here in these, you know, chairs that aren't going to allow you to fall asleep, and by the way, if you do fall asleep and fall over, I'm going to throw something at you. Just know that I'm doing that in the love of Christ. But here's the truth. I want you to close your eyes for a minute, and I want you to listen to what John Eldridge actually says in this book that I'm referencing. Here's what he says. So there's all of these things that we've just talked about, but everybody's talking about that. But here's what got my attention. It was what was happening to me as a person. I found myself flinching 
when a friend texted me and asked me for some time. I didn't want to open an email for fear of the demands that I might find there. I had a shorter and shorter fuse in traffic. I felt numb to tragic news reports. It made me wonder, am I becoming a less loving person? I had little capacity for relationships and the things that actually bring me life. A walk in the woods, dinner with friends, a cold plunge in a mountain lake. When I did actually steal a moment for something that was life-giving, I often found myself so distracted that I couldn't enjoy it. That's why I ask you to close your eyes. Maybe you can identify. I want to keep going, though. He said, this is really powerful. Then I realized it wasn't a failure of love or compassion. These were symptoms of a soul pushed too hard, strung out, haggard, and fried. My soul just can't do life at the speed of smartphones. But I was asking it to, and everyone is asking theirs too as well. And then he keeps going. I'm guessing you've experienced something similar. It's likely why you've picked up this book. Your soul is looking for something. Are you aware of what it is? How would you score your soul these days? Are you happy most of the time? How often do you feel lighthearted? Are you excited about your future? Do you feel deeply loved? And when was the last time that you actually felt carefree? I know, I know, it's not even fair to ask because our souls are bleary, smeared, and seared. Still able to love, yes, still able to hope and dream, but at the end of any given day, most people come home in a state of exhaustion, numb on our good days, fried on more days than we want to admit. I feel all thin, sort of stretched, as Bilbo Baggins says in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I'm like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. The world has gone completely mad, and it's trying to take our souls with it. Now, if we had more of God, that would really, really help. We could draw on His love, His strength, His wisdom, His resilience, because after all, God is the fountain of life, as Psalm 36, 9 says. If we had more of His lavish life bubbling up in us, it would be a rescue in the soul-scorching uh, soul hour. But this frantic, volatile world constantly wilts our soul, dries us like a raisin, making it almost impossible to receive the life that God is pouring forth. I tried to find more of God, knowing if I had a greater measure of His life in me, I'd be able to navigate all this rough terrain. I was practicing the usual stuff, prayer, worship, scripture, the sacrament, but still I felt, I don't know, shallow somehow. Sipping God with a teaspoon, not drinking great gulps, not wait, just waiting and not swimming. My soul felt like a shallow rain puddle. But I know the soul is not a shallow puddle at all. It's deep. It's vast. It's capable of symphonies and heroic courage. And I wanted to be living from those deep places, but I felt like I was trapped in the shoals. Keep with me here. Keep with me. It's no coincidence that one of the most important books of our world and what technology is doing to us is called The Shallows. We're losing our ability to focus, pay attention longer than just a few moments. That's why I felt the need to remind you to keep with me. We live at the depth of the text, the swipe, the like. It's not just an intellectual problem. It's a spiritual crisis because it's hard to hear deep calling unto deep 
when we're forcing into the shallows of our own hearts and lives by this frantic world. But here's the great news. Jesus heard even my surface prayers. He came to my rescue. He began to lead me into a number of helps, practices, things that I would call graces, simple things. And he tells a few of those. And then he goes on and he says, I was finally experiencing the more of him that I'd been wanting for so long. I began to get my life back and I connected the dots that God wants us to come to him to restore our lives. He really does. But if our soul is not well, if it is impossible for us to receive him, Because we are dry, scorched ground that can't absorb the very rain that it needs. And I'm just going to end right there, but I will tell you this. At the very end of this, he says, basically, we'll find the vibrancy and the resiliency that we crave as human beings, living waters welling up from deep within, and we begin to get our lives back. Now, here is what I want to share with you today. Maybe you understand what I'm saying. Maybe you can identify with what he is writing. That somehow, in the midst of all that's happened in 2020, there's something that's tapping you on the shoulder and reminding you that you are built for more than this, but you're not getting there. And you don't even know how to get there. Like, what does that even look like today? I'm going to share over the next few weeks some real solutions. And before you start panicking, I want to tell you something. I'm not talking about stuff that is going to go on this long to-do list. There are some things that you probably are not doing that will bring life to you. But it is not a list of long things to do. Most of these things are practices that you can put into place that quickly. But there are also a number of things that have nothing to do with a daily ritual or routine. But they are slowing down and letting God speak to you. Eckhart Tolle said something, and I want to just be very clear. Eckhart Tolle uh, is a man who, who is a spiritual teacher from Germany. He says, you find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life, but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. Can I tell you something? For some of you, you know that as the year turns into January, you start making the list of the things that you didn't do well, and now you need to do them better. And so these are the things that you have to make resolutions about. But those are not real solutions. Those are things that are going to go into your rearview mirror. I know when we got started with 2020, I thought to myself, this is what I want my arm to look like when I'm done. Need I say more? I didn't get there. Also, there's something funny. I'd seen this during the year. It says, to those of you who actually took about to finish Netflix, congratulations if you got there this year. Netflix sent out on Twitter. It's like, thank you for finishing Netflix, right? I mean, we're, we're finding ways to fill our days. And let me just say something real quick. I'm about to throw some things at you that might sound crazy And this is not intended to poke at you or poke at me. It is intended to kind of be healing and therapeutic to realize that these are things that you actually have time for if you choose to prioritize them. For example, how much do you think an average smartphone use is for an individual in the United States today? Don't don't click it yet, Sabrina, if you don't mind. Oh, man, just think about it for just a second. How much do you spend time working on your smartphone, doing things on your smartphone on an average day. Here's what it says. According to Google, the average American spends 5.4 hours a day on their phone. 
And before you say, well, those daggum millennials, they're, they're driving up the, the, the amount for all of us. And it's not actually the millennials' fault in this case, right? Too easy. And not nearly enough responsibility for your own self if you're a baby boomer or somebody like myself. Because we spend time on our phones 5.4 hours a day. Some of that's work. A lot of it is not. And what about TV? I know that we watch TV on our devices some, and so that's probably a little bit of overlap here. But how much TV do you think the average person watches in an average day at their home? Think about it for just a second. I mean... Just think about it. All right, now let's go to this next one. The average American spends three hours and 58 minutes daily watching TV. It's four hours. Wow, that's a lot. And so this, this alone, you could easily find five, six hours a day to just practice a couple of other things that could bring you life. And can, can we just be honest we do what's easy, not what brings us life. I was joking about the fact that I wanted my arm. I know that it would be helpful if my arm actually looked like that. But the only curls that I can find myself to do are these kind of curls, right? These kind of curls, something I should drink and, you know, more coffee, <laughs> more food, right? And so I don't do what's good for me. I do what's easy or like that sugar rush for the soul. And for most of us, we're, we're filling our lives with a sugar rush for the soul, and we're wondering why we feel sick when people start talking about the stuff I'm talking about right now. And I know that right now, some of you are like, man, where's the pause button? I don't want to hear anymore. Can I just say something? Please just listen. This is not me saying, I've got it figured out. You should too. That's not what I'm saying. But when you go to the doctor, you have to say, this is the reality of where I am. Now, I look in the mirror just like you look in the mirror and I say, I haven't really put on any weight. And then I go to the doctor and they make me get on that scale, that incredibly, perfectly accurate scale that I cannot change. And I'm like, hmm, wow, maybe I have put on a pound or 10 I have to be honest with myself about where I actually am. And can I just say something? You and I, we don't like these kinds of conversations, but here is the truth of the matter. If we're actually ever going to change anything and look at our lives in the rear view in a way that we're like, man, that was good. That was good. I'm not shouting it from the rooftops. I'm not putting it out on Facebook, but that was good. Like, I'm proud of that month and a half, two months, three months stretch. God used me in this way and that way and God changed my heart and God fixed this relationship and God changed this situation in my financial life and God changed me in a spiritual way in this place. Like we can do all of those things as we lean into our relationship with God, but we cannot do that unless we get really serious about looking at ourselves and knowing what we're doing. Very quickly, let me be very clear about something. Again, I come back. This is our something to learn. When Jesus was speaking about this burden being light and his yoke being easy, he condemned the Pharisees because they had 613 laws from God that they demanded that the Jewish people follow. It's in this context that Jesus declares, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Now, I don't know about y'all, but I have a hard time keeping up with the Ten Commandments and making sure I do all of them. Please don't give me. I mean, I can't even memorize my own daughter's phone numbers, right? I know I'm a horrible parent, right? Y'all pray for me. But I can't even remember their, their phone numbers, much less 613 laws that God wants me to keep up with. Jesus is like, man, tear all that stuff away. It's not about the to-do list. It is about the relationship. And I want to talk about these graces that John Eldridge spoke about very quickly. From Matthew chapter 15, I want to just put that up there. There is a, a, a passage in the message that is truly beautiful. It is this passage of scripture. And the way that it is written is very beautiful. And he, said, he goes on and he talks about that. And he talks about uh, so much going on you know, with the Pharisees. He, he said, you are trying to do so much. And all I really want is your heart. Very quickly, big idea today. Big idea. Here's the big idea, and I want you guys to say out loud with me. I'm going to say it, and then on the count of three, we're all going to say it out loud together. This is my way of making sure that you're awake from when I ask you to close your eyes, okay? So here it is. The big idea is that a soul at rest in God brings a life both peace and power. Would you guys read it out loud with me? A soul at rest in God brings a life both peace and power. I don't know about you but I need more power in my life. Anybody else? This is just me, right? I need more power of God in my life. When I don't have enough to be the kind of father I need to be, I need God to intervene. When I don't have enough to be the kind of pastor that I need to be, the kind of worker that I need to be, the kind of friend, the kind of son, the kind of, you know, on and on and on that I need to be, I need God to intervene. How about you? And what about this? What about the peace? Where I don't look in the mirror and go, man, Randy, why? Why settle for the sugar high? Why chase after these things that are so easy to find and yet bring you no nourishment in your soul? Why? I want that to change in me. How about you? Can I get an amen? Will y'all give me an amen? Very quickly, the one to remember today is this passage of scripture that I've shared with you. And that is just this from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 or 30, or both if you choose. And you can do that as you read those things through the Bible apps that we have here on the screen. You can download these Bible apps for free. They are things that you can check out. John Eldridge mentioned graces, and I want to talk about these very quickly. I want to cover two today, and I realize that I don't have much time, so hang with me, bear with me, stay with me, and let's get two graces that will change your perspective even today. So let's begin here. This is John Eldridge. You can say, uh, you can see I read this a little earlier. He said, I would call these things graces, God's way of being helpful and being a blessing to me. Let's talk about this first one. It is called the one minute pause. I waited for about 10 seconds there. And some of you who have never made eye contact with me in my entire life just started looking at me for the very first time. You're like, what is going on? He's always talking and suddenly he just didn't. It's so weird. <laughs> Shelly, don't, don't, don't say anything, baby. Please don't say. <laughs> She's like, it's like that at home too. <laughs> 10 seconds probably, maybe 15 at the most that I just stopped. But I had 
a moment of your attention that I probably didn't have the moment before simply because there was silence. Have any of you guys ever looked back on your day and gone, where did it all go? I mean, it was one thing that led to the next thing, which led straight into the next thing. And as soon as I was done with that, I found myself doing this. And man, sometimes it's us. Like we're the ones listening to something when we don't have to. And there's no moment of silence ever to be found in our lives. But John Eldridge encourages and he says something that he's found to be a grace for him is the one minute pause. The one minute pause. And you may be thinking to yourself, but you don't understand. I don't have a minute to pause. Can I just say something real quick? Can I tell you that sometimes you spend hours and hours obsessing over something that you said in the moment when you shouldn't have been talking at all, right? I mean, like you went from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and you should have just paused and said, hold on, let me just let that flow away. And for a moment, let me get back in the right kind of headspace and heart space. And so let me just stop for just a second. But no, 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 we don't do that because we don't even give ourselves permission for one single minute of pause. But if we did, maybe we wouldn't spend hours going, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I should not have said that. I wish that I could take that back, what I said to my kid. I wish that I could take that back, what I said to my wife, my husband. I wish that I could take that back, what, oh Lord help you, if you say my boss, right? I wish I could take that back and I know that my wife wishes I could take that back, right? So here's what I say to you. Give yourself a minute and take just a moment and hit pause. And even if you're in the midst of something, maybe you're in the middle of, hey, can we, somebody standing there at the side of your desk saying, can we talk about this email that I sent to you or this email that we just received? And your mind is flowing all in that direction. And you know that they're trying to take you in that direction. You could literally look up to them and say, I literally need one minute, 60 seconds to just take a moment and be quiet and let all of this just kind of flow away and get my head in the right space. Can you give me, you'll get a better me if you give me 60 seconds. Can you do that? Thank you. And then 60 seconds. Y'all know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? It's not crazy. I mean, it's different. It's out there. You don't hear people saying that, but it could do you some good. It could do all of us some good. And you could do that at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. like they do at John Eldridge's workplace where he sets up a monastery bell where it literally sounds like the monastery bells in the distance. He puts it over the, the offices and it says, you know, ding, dong, dong. you know, not like the, not the iPhone obnoxious tone that wakes you in the morning, but just something soft, right? And by the way, I set this today and I figured out that you can actually use a, a ringtone called Twinkle. Can I still keep my man card if I use Twinkle as an alarm code on my phone? Because I think I did that today. It sounds so sweet and so nice. It reminds me, you know what, Randy? Slow down for just 60 seconds. Or you could even download the App Store, the pause app. And, and, and I want to show it to you. The one-minute pause, this is from John Eldridge. It's just one minute of your day, twice a day, where you just slow down. And, and if you're serious about your faith, how often do you look back at your day and go, God, I don't know how, 
But I literally didn't even find 30 seconds to acknowledge that you were a part of things today. And I'm sorry. I know I want you in my life, but my life is going by so fast that I can't even acknowledge that you're a part of it. I'm sure it's just me and nobody else. The second thing of the graces, very quickly, the second of these graces that he speaks about is benevolent detachment. Benevolent meaning kind-hearted detachment because the truth is is that you and I are bombarded as we spoke about these things that are designed to provoke an emotional response. These things that are designed to get you involved in somebody else's agenda for you and your money, your time, your energy, your focus, all of these things. It happens at work all the time, but it happens even when you're not at work. Benevolent detachment where you just simply say, I appreciate the opportunity, but I'm just simply not interested. Or when something comes across your mind, you say, you know what, Lord, Please bless that situation and I'm going to keep moving. Now, that doesn't sound very Christian, Randy. It doesn't sound very Christ-like, Randy. Here's what I would say to you. Read your Bible. It's funny how reading your Bible actually changes your opinion on things that people try to label as Christ-like. Matter of fact, let's talk about what Christ did. Can we do that real quick and just see what actually is Christ-like? Let's talk about it. Jesus, from Mark chapter 4, says, After that evening sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and all the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. He had lots to do on his to-do list. Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out demons. He is doing absolutely life-altering work in scores and scores of people. But very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed, where he got alone with God the Father. And then let's go to this next slide, the continuance of this. And then Simon Peter and his companions went and looked for him, and they found him. They said, everyone is looking for you. How many of you wish that everybody wasn't looking for you all the time, right? Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, because that is why I have come. You know what Jesus is doing? He's practicing benevolent detachment. Your agenda for me and my life will not rule it. God's will. God the Father will tell me where to go and what to say, but I'm not going to let you choose my life for me. Oh, man. There is freedom right here. You will not allow somebody else to choose your agenda. You don't have to go to every single fight that you're invited to. Can I get an amen, right? You don't have to go crazy every time your kids tempt you to do so, amen? I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that you can set the agenda, but you have to practice this benevolent detachment where you say, you know what, God, I'm going to let you have this. I'm going to let you take care of this. And I'm going to let you be the one who's in charge of this. And before you leave this idea that this is not very Christ-like, how many times did Jesus say in the New Testament, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, I could sit here all day and explain it to you, and some of you still won't get it, but some of you have heard enough. He who has ears, let him hear. And then he exits stage left, Right? Why? Because here's the truth. Let's go to this next slide very quickly. You cannot choose for others, and you cannot give others control. You just can't do it. 
Now, I'm not saying that you need to pull the plug and that you don't need relationships. As a matter of fact, you absolutely do. And they're probably the things that are hardest for you to keep, but they're the very things that are making you more Christ-like as they knock off some of the rough edges. But for many of us, we're letting people that we don't know and we don't care about set the agenda for our whole entire day. Oh, so-and-so at work. They gave me the thumbs up on this really important text. What do they mean by that? Or the worst is the one letter text, K, D, K. What does that even mean? Right? Come on. I'm sorry. I know none of y'all feel that in kind of anger or frustration at K, right? And by the way, those of you named K, this is not about you. You are loved. All right, so very quickly, the graces of a balanced life, this benevolent detachment where you give others no control. It's up to God, and God will handle this. And instead of me obsessing about whether or not you're okay with me and I'm okay with you, you know what? Man, uh, <laughs> I, I could go into this. I could go on and on about this, but this is freedom for some of you who have given your life to whether or not somebody likes something about you. You've given your sanity and your self-value and worth to how many likes somebody gives you. Man, God, free us from that trash. Sorry. John chapter 2, verse 23. This is what Jesus was spoken about him. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the signs he was performing. They believed in his name. In other words, everybody was falling onto Jesus' agenda. They're like, yeah, we're behind you. You're our guy. Go. Jesus 2021, right? But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew, what's the next line? All people. People will disappoint you. People will not live up to what you hope they will be. People will disappoint you. And there will be times where even the best people with the best intentions will disappoint you and not give you what you had hoped for. Don't entrust yourself to those people. He didn't need anybody giving him testimony about mankind. He already knew what was in each person. Everyone's capable of hurting you. The minute that you let them set the agenda for your life, you're setting yourself up for pain, heartache, and failure. Man, don't even do it. There is freedom in life in the fact that you say, you know what, whatever people say or don't say about me, benevolent detachment. You do you. I'm going to do what God has me doing in my life. I'm going to be the best husband I can be. I'm going to be the best mom I can be. I'm going to be the best Christian I can be. I'm going to be the best friend, son, daughter. I'm going to be the best anything. I'm going to be the best worker that I can be. But I'm not going to sit here and get myself all in knots and twisted up about what you say or don't say or whether or not your text just says K. Right? I'm not going to lose my sleep on that because it's just not worth it. I already know what mankind is like. Can I get an amen if you know that mankind will let you down? Amen? They will let you down. Don't even give them that power. Benevolent detachment. Very quickly, 
Here's how I would encourage you to apply this week's message. You do one week of the one-minute pause. You can download the pause app or the set your phone alarm for a couple of times a day. And then just when that thing does twinkle, <laughs> you give one minute to just... And I'm just going to stop for a minute and let God have a little bit of space in my heart and in my day. And can we just keep it real? I know we would love to say that we never push God out with the things that are unimportant in our life, but we do it all the time. This is just our way of giving God one more foothold back into the life that he can actually provide life for if we will let him. Pause.com or pauseapp.com or the iTunes store. I, I, I encourage you to do it. I downloaded mine. And unfortunately, I set mine for 1045. And so the 1045 came in the middle of worship. And I was like, well, this is kind of weird. Like, am I supposed to stop right now? Well, I've got mine set. I encourage you to do the same. Now, I'm ending real, real quick. Real quick, I'm going to end. Did you know that there are three top New Year's resolutions? The first one is exercise. The second one is to lose weight. And the third one is to get organized. Now, let's, be, let's just do true confession, good for the soul. We all have a drawer in our kitchen that looks like that. Can I get an amen in the chat today? You have that drawer. I could come to your house. I could probably walk right to it because it's the wide one. And it's probably over in the corner. Like, I can find your silverware, but I can also find that drawer, and you don't want me to find that drawer, but you have one. You know how I know you have one? Because I have one, and I have one with a woman who hates these kinds of drawers. Me, I'm good with it. I'm like, whatever, man. <laughs> I'm good with it. My wife's like, oh, no, 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 right? But you have that drawer, and isn't it interesting that in January, you're going to go and you're going to try to fix this drawer and get it organized, right? And yeah, do it. Great. Fantastic. But can I ask you a question? Why in the world do you let your heart and your mind and your spirit and your soul look like that and you never give it a second thought that maybe you ought to clean some stuff out? And organize some stuff and put some stuff in places and put some structure into your spiritual life that actually brings you life. That your soul finds rest rather than panic and upset and unease and dis-ease, if you will allow it to be said. Because I believe that many diseases begin from inside. I really do believe that. And so if these things are what we do and what we set as resolutions. Can I propose a real solution? This is from Augustine, who lived in the 300 BC, um, 300 AD era. And here's what he said. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. If you are struggling to find rest... Take my yoke upon, upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. That's what Jesus invites us to participate in and be a part of and experience. Heavenly Father, as we begin, 
as we begin the things that we're talking about over this course of January, please open our hearts so that we might find rest rather than a to-do list. May we find real solutions, not just simply resolutions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.